Institute podcast. I'm Carol Malinsky, Director of Content and Curriculum, and with me once again is Mr. Art Barter, our founder and CEO. Hi, Carol. Great to be with you again today in the studio. Good to be here. It's a beautiful day in Carlsbad. No kidding, huh? Sunshine and a little on the warm side, which is great. We apologize to all of you who may be suffering out there with the weather, and really you are in our thoughts, so that's, you know, all kidding aside. and it's great to be here with you. Yeah, good to be here. And we're going to be talking about, once again, your book, The Art of Servant Leadership 2, mm-hmm. Chapter 6, which is all about living your purpose day to day. Oh, one of my favorite subjects. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And to get to kick us off, I'm going to go ahead and read actually a quote for our audience from, um, I know, someone that you have great respect for. Um, it, Being successful and fulfilling your life's purpose are not at all the same thing. You can reach all your personal goals, become a raving success by the world's standard, and still miss your purpose in this life. And that is by Pastor Rick Warren. It's just a little bit up the road here from us. Great words of wisdom. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Purpose, so very, very important. And in your book, you, you get it started in this chapter by, by talking about living your purpose day-to-day in your businesses. And can you share with us how Daytron and SLI live their com- what you call common purpose? Common purpose, yeah. You know, it's um, <clears throat> what we found is when individuals and companies have a common purpose, um, it is a very, very powerful thing because some people won't look at coming to work as coming to work anymore because mm-hmm. it's, you know, we're all working towards the same uh, purpose in life. And, you know, at, at uh, the company's Datron and Servant Leadership Institute, we want to positively impact the lives of others today and in the future. That's, that's our purpose. Um, and when we share a heart to help people, and we think along those lines and we act along those lines, it, it then creates very, very powerful results. And I'm not talking financial results, I'm talking about relationship results. And mm-hmm. so, you know, <clears throat> we talk about it all the time, but we also felt, how can we help our employees live that purpose? Mm-hmm. Because if I don't give them a chance to live the purpose, it's, it's, it's difficult. Now what's different about Datron is we do 90% of our business outside the United States. So interfacing with our customer is very difficult. So we have to bring those stories back. Um, so we wanted to give them something local to be able to live the purpose. So we, we generated the Datron Charitable Fund, donate 10% of our operating profits into the fund every quarter. And what we do there is the only people who can give that money away are as employees. So we don't take outside grant requests. We don't um, go off and tell people we're here to help you. We, our employees help generate that profit. Our purpose is to positively impact the lives of others. 
give this money away to nonprofits that are special to your heart, that have helped your family, impacted you maybe, or your family. And so we let our employees give that money away. And that was the vehicle that we felt outside of our day-to-day -day business, we would give our employees the ability to go positively impact the lives of people who have helped them and their families maybe get through one of their struggles. Right, right. So yeah. MS, epilepsy, heart, mm -hmm. there's all kinds of, yeah. of nonprofits that, that they're able to help because it means something to them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, personally, this is a brilliant idea, Art. It really is. When you look at, at a workforce, everybody's got a different job. Mm -hmm. Some jobs may be considered more um, not important. That's not the word I'm looking for, but rather, um, you know, there's what you do as CEO when you come in is very different from a person working on the manufacturing line mm -hmm. or a person working in accounts payable. Right. The person in accounts payable may be doing a very repetitive task over and over and over again, and it's difficult sometimes to think my job has great purpose and meaning in the world. Mm -hmm. And I personally believe that everybody's looking for that, for yeah. that significance. This allows them, through the charitable fund, allows them to impact lives for generations. Right, right. And that's huge. Yeah, you know, I, I, in our purpose, it doesn't say we're just gonna positively impact the lives today. It says also in the future. Right. So if we can help a nonprofit continue to serve people well into the future, that, that helps us live our purpose. Uh, how we apply that to our customers is one of the things we tell them, <coughs> excuse me, is we will sell you products and the, in the last day that you receive a product that you bought from us, if you never buy from us again, We'll support that product for 10 years. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll be by your side for 10 years. It isn't just about selling products for us. It's about providing that after-sale service and support, regardless of if there's another sale behind it. Mm -hmm. And um, that makes us different in the marketplace. And what I love about it is our competition doesn't understand why we do what we do <laughs> and why we're so, right. so successful at doing it. So. Right. That's the fun part for me. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when you have stories, when I travel or the people that travel for us and they get a story from a customer, it's really important to feed that back to, to people in the organization. Yeah. Absolutely. Because the Absolutely. stories are very powerful to let people realize that our purpose is alive and well in that foreign country that we serve. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not just making a radio. I'm, I'm impacting people halfway around the world. Right, exactly. You know, to make their situation better. Mm -hmm. yep. So that it's just it's just an amazing concept to me. Um, how do you think um, the generations look at purpose? Do they look at it differently? Or does everybody, you know, basically feel the same way? Well, you know, I'm a boomer. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, when I first got in the workforce and started my career out of college, um, the only thing people talked about was profits. If you work for a public company, 
it was profits and it was based down to the next 90 days, what are you gonna do? Um, nobody told us what the purpose of the company was mm-hmm. other than to make money and return money to our shareholders. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, that's not a bad purpose because people invest in you, you wanna return money to them. But it's hard for people in the organization other than probably the corporate, the board and the corporate leaders to, to really grab onto that because they're not interfacing with the investors. They're mm-hmm. not, so it, it makes it difficult. So for me as a boomer, it was all about profits. Yeah. Uh, nobody sat down and talked to, me, talked to me about what the real purpose of the company was, nor did they talk to me about the values of the company. Mm-hmm. It was, you're here to do a job, let's get it done, make some money. Yeah. And then we start the clock all over again 90 days later. Uh So that's the workforce that I went into. Today, the younger generation is, they're gonna start a job, they're looking for that purpose. We didn't look for that purpose back then. I didn't go in going, hey, I didn't ask them, why do you do what you do and what's your values? Didn't ask that, right? right? That wasn't what, in the interview, you didn't talk about that. You talked about your ability and yeah, sometimes you talked about pay, but most of the time you didn't. Right. So today, to excite the workforce of tomorrow, you have to talk about why you do what you do. And is it going to have a positive impact mm-hmm. on people? Um, if I'm interviewing you and you're just out of college and 20, 22, 23 years old, um, and I talk to you about your primary purpose is to make money for me, that person's going to say no to any offer. They're mm-hmm. not going to accept it. So, yeah, the workforce today is looking for that purpose. They're looking for values because they've heard all kinds of stories where corporations use their people, promise their people things, and then did exactly the opposite. And some of them went out of business. Yeah. Some of them went out of business. They didn't take care of the business. And so people lost their jobs because they didn't do theirs. Right. So. Big difference on what people were looking for in my time out of school and today yeah. out of school. Yeah. So the younger generation wants that purpose. They want to feel good about what they do. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you know, you, you have this great purpose um, going forward at, at Daytron and as you were implementing servant leadership. How did you sort of get everybody to buy into this and and this kind of has um has to do with i think a gift you have which is communicating you've got to communicate and it isn't just about preparing a speech i'm, I'm very fortunate I, I tell people at sli all the time don't give me a script because i just want to talk from my heart um now i wasn't always that way but i'm more comfortable with just thinking through an outline and thinking through the stories I'm gonna tell. Because in my experience over time, when I share from my heart and people know that I'm sharing from my heart uh, and they see the real person, not just the corporate guy in a white shirt and a tie, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They start to care, because you care. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I learned is it's okay to show emotions. You've seen that on multiple times. I, I, I get a little teary-eyed every now and then when I, when I hear a story that really has impacted people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But what I learned early on, it isn't just one meeting. It isn't just one time I talk about purpose and values. We talk about it all the time, over and over mm -hmm. and over again. And in my position as a leader in the company, CEO, I have to talk about that all the time. Because my job is to make sure people are working together in that. And we don't have a 100% retention rate. And so you're gonna get new people in. Right. Um, if you're growing, you're gonna bring on new people. How do you bring them together in the organization? But you have to communicate, communicate, communicate. And don't say the same thing over and over again. Give examples of maybe one value you have as a company on how the company made a decision to live that value. Mm -hmm. Tell a story about a customer that you've impacted um, in a positive way. For us, tell a story. Sometimes we bring in the nonprofits, let them talk to our people about the impact that their giving has had on what that organization's been able to do for people. And sometimes the people who are actually been impacted by that nonprofit come in and share you guys changed our lives. You gave me an opportunity to get back on track. And now I, I'm, I'm back in society. I've got a family. I'm caring where before they were lost and, and struggling with drugs, alcohol, whatever it might have been. And when you hear that story about how you positively impacted, that's part of your communication. It isn't mm -hmm. just this is our purpose, this is our values. And if you don't abide by them, we're going to fire you. That's not good communications, right? Right. Um, and then secondly, you've got to, got to make sure to understand that leaders aren't perfect. And so there's going to be times where something I say or the way I say it doesn't reflect our purpose or our values. And creating that environment where it's safe to say, hey, Art, you really ought to think about how you talk. Um, you know, that's part of it get feedback on the way you communicate, and are you effective in that communication? And I've always found, you speak from the heart, you're gonna, you're gonna make that connection with people. You're not gonna make that connection in reading a speech. Right. With your head right. down and not making eye contact, right. so. Well, what I've found is, and, and this is something that you have dealt with in a very, um, in a great way, very open way, um, you know, I've always considered myself to be a semi-intelligent human being. Mm -hmm. But in big companies that I've worked for, and I've worked for a couple of really big ones, they put all these numbers up on the screen, and 80% of the people in the audience have no idea, no what, idea they're what, you're, what you're talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. And you were really the first leader I had that simplified that to the point where people were able to understand you know, um, revenue versus profits, you know, things like that. And just be very straightforward. And not only that, not only using terms that people could understand, but showing them the numbers, the real numbers. Yeah, you have to show numbers. And I think things that we take for granted because we look at numbers all the time, mm -hmm. um, you have to explain to people hey, if you don't see brackets around a number, that's a good thing. Right. Or if you see numbers in green, that's a good thing. As, sim as simple and clear as that. And, and you know, the first time we started going through the profit and gross margin, and people asked, well, what goes into the cost of our sales? Yeah. And we explained to them, and, you know, they picked up a little bit of it, but the more we talked about it, the more they understood. 
And so we got to the point where we understood overall what went into generating profit. And it was all about margin for us as a product company. You have to make gross margin. Um, But then we go to the balance sheet. And a balance sheet is a little tougher to understand. So there's things in the balance sheet I don't try to explain. um, Because number one, it's not a big number. So you don't go down every line right. item, you know, right. where I, I was trained in finance. And so, you know, hey, you want to talk about every line. You don't have to do that. Talk about the big stuff. For us, inventory, cash was very important, being a private company, mm-hmm. inventory, um, how we were paying our vendors, um, our liabilities, uh, whether or not we had a relationship with the bank, how much we owed them. And then you go to a cash flow statement. And I remember this. I said, we threw that up there and I said, you know, this is really for accountants. And I said, that isn't a bad thing, but you know what? I can't explain this cash flow statement that I put in front of you, so we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, 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 having an accounting background of finance, I could go through it, but yeah, I can't explain how I got to that number because you have to have too much of a background to get right. to it. So I said... Right. What's important, I said, this is the number I look at, which was near the bottom. And I said, this is the number I'm going to share with you. And when there's no brackets around it, that's good. Mm-hmm. When there's a bracket around it, that's not good. Right. And I used to go, okay, guys, here's my cash flow number for the quarter. Is that good or bad? And so it was more of a conversation and a learning mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. than just putting it up and going, hey, we did good. So great. Thanks yeah. a lot. Yeah. And we talked about bookings, we talked about headcount, and explaining the difference between what's a booking versus what's a shipment. Right. We got in that conversation and taught people. So now we get a big order, uh, and for us, we set it, at, I think, at, at $2 million. Um, We have a bell that's down the floor, and people walk through the building and ring the bell. And everybody knows when they hear that bell, we got a, a $2 million plus order that yeah. just came in. Yeah. We haven't even started buying parts for it yet, so it's not a shipment. <laughs> it's a new contract that we got. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you do is you hang in there and you answer every question. You know, and, and this is really important. The good times, it's very easy to do that. Um, yeah. It's very good because in good times, everybody's excited and they go, okay, I don't have a lot of questions. When you're struggling and things aren't going that well, that's the important time. Mm-hmm. that you sit and answer all the questions. And I can, I can remember the first time we had to do a reduction. Um, there, you know, I, and I'm talking about a reduction in workforce, mm-hmm. uh, not just somebody didn't work out. Uh, this was impacting people's lives. And I, I, I told the team, I said, this is what's happened today. This was the reason for it. We didn't do our job. Um, and we made sure people left that day not feeling bad that they did something wrong because it was us. But I told the, the group of employees, I will sit here and answer any question you have all day long. All day long. So please ask away. And um, I think that meeting lasted for a couple hours. And that meant more to those people in the room than anything else. And. You know, I worked for a gentleman in my 20s, and he taught me what not to do. (laughs) He had to do a reduction for us. He couldn't face the people. And so he had a microphone hooked up in his office, 
and over the loudspeakers, we were told to get everybody together on the floor. He told them about it from his office over the loudspeaker. You know, because he didn't want to face the people. And I, I, I looked at other people around me and my, my peers, I went, this is not the way to do business. Because people are going, where's, where's my leader? Yeah. This is when I need my leader. So it's really important to answer all the questions. And yeah, you're going to feel uncomfortable, but you know what? Get over it. Yeah. Because they're looking to you to make sure that the company is successful and they're going to have a paycheck. Yeah. And, you know, that means more to them than anything else. Right. And those that, you know, I know how difficult those times are for everyone, but there's nobody, it's, you know, there's people that are affected as far as their jobs are concerned. So how do I compare the fact that I'm uncomfortable because I had to let someone go compared Um, to their situation? One of the stories that that comes to mind is we had decided to outsource uh, our printed circuit board assembly. We used to do it in-house. Very capital-intensive operation. Mm -hmm. And we were looking at having to upgrade four different lines that we had, and we were looking at a $3 million to $4 million investment just in equipment Mm -hmm. to upgrade it, and probably another year to get it up and running. And at the time, we we didn't have the money to make that investment, so we really had to ask ourselves, is it worth us to keep it going? Well, we decided no, but we outsourced that. We outsourced, gave the equipment to the people, and we made sure they took the people. And there was a group of 10 people left um, that didn't go with that sale, and after we wound it down, I got them together in the room and said, you know, guys, I'm, I'm going to have to let you go because mm-hmm. I don't have any any more work in this area and um, I got I got upset about it and I said you know not you didn't do anything wrong this is just the, the decision we made and you know we'll do everything we can to help with the transition and I left the room uh, upset and I went and stuck my went into an, another side conference room I had four people follow me into the room who were losing their job that day Four people followed me in the conference room because I was showing emotions. And they said, Art, you're going to be okay. We really, really enjoy working here and being part of You're going to be okay. Now, these were four people who were losing their job. And they were telling me that it was going to be okay. Um, I've never forgotten that day, ever. Because when you pour into people's lives, they're going to care about you, even when times are tough. And those times are very, very special in a leader's life. Very yeah. special. Yeah. yeah. So let's, since I'm, I'm already tearing up over here, <laughs> let's, let's move on to talking about other ways that you have invested in employees. And you talk in the book about um, you know, leaders needing to, and I'm going to quote this because I would never say something like this, um, <laughs> <laughs> that leaders need to put their money where their mouth is mm-hmm. when it comes to investing in their employees. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? You know, um, I'm, I'm going to start off by telling Chris Stokes' story. Chris <laughs> uh, was part of the initial, His bro- he and his brother were the ones that started the Jamaican bobsled uh, team. 
Yes, and Cool we, Runnings for you folks. Cool Runnings, a great, great we'll movie, great book. Um, and we were doing a conference down in Florida. And so we, after we got done, we had uh, three or four of us sitting up front answering questions. And one of the questions came up and said, well, what's the best way for me to take this information to my team? And I responded, I said, well, the best way is to get a hold of one of the, one of the people up here, me included, and we'll be more than happy to come in your company. And he says, well, I don't have any money for that. And then somebody said, well, why don't you bring one or two people with you to these conferences? And he said, I don't have any money for that either. Mm -hmm. Chris Stokes, I love this. He said, Art, I'd like to say something. He says, <laughs> you know, I don't understand management in the United States. And he says, and this is why. He says, you know, we had no money. We had no snow in Jamaica. <laughs> and yet we put together a team to compete in the Winter Olympics in bobsledding. Yeah. So he says, I, I really don't understand why you can't find the money. Um, and you know, what I try to get across to leaders is when you're in tight times, you need to cut budgets. Why don't you cut out the stuff that you pay, pay for? Why don't you start with your expense reports first? Mm. Um, why don't you start there and start in your office and do away with some benefits that you have for those execs mm -hmm. uh, or leaders instead of going right to the training budget Yes. And starting there, and I've seen so many leaders when times are tough, they go right to the training budget. And that is one of the craziest. And if I upset anybody here, I apologize in advance. But if you're really putting your mouth where your, well, excuse me, your money where your mouth is, yeah, uh, then you're going to keep that training budget intact. Um, or you're going to go find the money to go make it happen. And there's so much... There's so many things you can you can look at. I would challenge people, maybe the first place you can go through is go through expense reports and say, I'm not going to pay for alcohol anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to pay for lunches anymore. Right. You guys decide to do something with a customer over the weekend, hey, you guys pay for it. I'm not going to pay for that anymore. That may work for you, it may not. Um, but I will tell you, our experience has been, you look hard enough, you're going to find things that don't make sense. Mm -hmm. um, and you're gonna be able to do that. So we put some money aside at a community college. We contributed to their fund. The condition of that was, it was used for Datron employees and their families to go to school. It was a scholarship fund. Mm -hmm. So we do it that way. We have a tuition reimbursement program where you can get X number of dollars a year. And you know, I sat with one employee that, that worked for me uh, a while back um, she wanted to get a master's degree and she says, well, I only get, I think back then it was five or $6,000 a year, maybe seven. And she says, you know, I only get that so much a year, so I can't, you know, think twice as long. I said, well, let's think about this. If you start in January, then you're, you're right. But what if you start in June? And I said, when your tuition comes due, you're going to be able to pay it because now you're in a new year and you mm -hmm. get another 5,000. And she said, wow, I never thought of it that way, but why would you even want to tell me that? Because now I can get 10000 in a year. I said, well, that's what it's there for. So those type of things is where you sit down and, you, and you, you ask an employee what they want, and you meet them where they are, and you help them get that. 
A lot of times it's investing in education, it's investing in training, mentoring, coaching. You can do that, invest in people in a, in a lot of different ways. All for the reasons of doing what you do. Why do you do what you do? Mm -hmm. You want to positively impact those lives. You do that through training with your employees yeah. and investing in them. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it has to do with, you use a term that I actually really, such an interesting term. You say that leaders have limiting beliefs. They do. About this issue of training their employees. They do. They a lot think of, they can't do it. They, they think they can't do it. And I'm, I'm going, well, well, why can't you? Um, I look at, you know, government contractors and they have to charge contracts all the time. And you know, they want to invest in their employees, but they make them do it on their day off. I went, what are you doing? <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's the only way. I said, no, you can do it other ways. Um, and we helped them come up with a, a lunch and learn program. You were, you were right in the middle of that. Uh, so they didn't have to come in on their weekends mm -hmm. to do the training. Um, they were almost investing in their people, but they still, uh, I really can't do it on company time. Yeah, it was um, going to be painful. But... If you can, you can be creative enough to go find ways to go fund that training and keep it going. Uh, one of the best training sessions we ever did, and I, th I think you were part of it, maybe, maybe not because you were in SLI, is we trained our new leaders on the process of the business. And so we, we bought two Lego cargo ships and we, cr we created a process where, hey, you receive an RFQ, request for quote. Here you got a, pr a proposal together. You've got to go get the order. Now you've got to build it. Now you've got to inspect it. Now you've got to ship it. And we, we taught the whole process through that game of putting that ship together with Legos. And it, we started it the day before by sending out the RFQs mm -hmm. to the teams. And we used text messages, emails. And, and so we simulated what we go through in the process and we used ships of Legos to build and deliver the product. Mm -hmm. Now that training cost me one day's worth of labor of the leadership team, which we were doing offsite anyway. Right. And two Lego cargo ships. Yeah. And that's all it costs. And you know, that exercise today gets remembered more because we taught them about the business mm -hmm. by buying two cargo ships from Lego. That's the creativity. Mm -hmm. that you need to have as a leader when right. you don't have a boatload of money. You can do it in very simple, small steps. And the least expensive training that you come up with is sometimes the most effective because it gets remembered. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, That's great. That really sounds great. So when you start to live your purpose as a company, you start to hear stories of transformation in people's lives. Mm -hmm. And over the years, I'm sure you've heard many of them. But let's share a couple of them with our audience today. Because right. I think they like the stories as well. Yeah, we do. We had a gentleman who ran our operations. His name was Gary. And <clears throat> um, Gary was a lot of fun to mentor because he would listen and learn. Um, and... Um, I saw him grow quite a bit uh, while he worked at Daytron. But one of his stories had to relate uh, in going into Haiti after the big earthquake there and helping out. Now, the limiting belief 
that Gary Gary had in his mind was, okay, I'm, I'm in a safe area. I live in the United States. I have food. I have security. I have a home. It has heating. I, I, I'm safe in my environment. I'm going into a country that just had an earthquake. At night, everybody kind of huddles down because it's not safe. May not have the best sanitation going on. You're basically in a in an area that's been, um, you know, demolished by the earthquake. Right. And he's going, should I go on this trip? And I don't know how long he he struggled with this, but yeah. he made the decision, he and his wife, that we're going to go in and help people. Now, he was able to go help people, and helping those people and seeing what they were living through and the courage they had to get through that mm-hmm. impacted his life in an unbelievable way. And when you see a leader transformed by their behavior and what they do to help people, it's pretty special. Um, now, you want to add anything to that, that story, Carol, because you were here as well. Um, um, n- well, Gary was my boss. Oh, while. that's right. Yeah, he was. And yeah. so this was actually especially meaningful. And I just want to read from Gary's comment over this experience. He shared, because of the transformation of my attitude... Through servant leadership training, I have become much less selfish. Now when I encounter new situations, I don't ask what will be the best for me. I look for opportunities to help others. This new perspective made it possible for me to eagerly say, yes, I will go to Haiti. And... uh, Gary and I grew together as servant leaders. Mm-hmm. There was a time when we didn't even speak the same language, even though we were both from the same country. But because of relationship building and servant leadership, it grew into um, a really nice friendship. Right, right. Yeah. And, uh, and I saw him go through this, this personal change, and it was really quite quite amazing to watch yeah it's great to hear the stories it's great to hear the transformation people go through because we can observe it but if someone like Gary is willing to share it Mm -hmm. um, to the point where you can help other people and other leaders learn and grow that's really the power of their story that you can really do this so have the courage to continue even though you may be in that uncomfortable zone Uh, just continue yeah. Continue moving forward. Yeah. So you have a story. I'm, you want to tell Sarah's story? Sarah's story. Yeah. Well, as we were working on a project, we were writing one of our booklets. Mm-hmm. And we decided to solicit, you know, some stories from people. And uh, Sarah is a Vietnamese um, and just a, brilliant in our manufacturing engineering area. Um, knows our product, the product backwards, forwards, and sideways, and just picked up this concept of servant leadership in a huge way. And she described to us for her story how, you know, she was uh, a very, her world was very small. Mm-hmm. You know, she looked at, you know, home, family, work, very small world. And through servant leadership, 
she feels that she became a very different person. And she wrote us that story, and she was very shy about it because um, of her language. Right, right. And, she, and, you know, she said, but you can edit it, Carol. And I said, no, Sarah, I'm not going to edit one single solitary word. We're mm-hmm. going to publish it the way it is. And so Sarah went on from that point to put in through the charitable fund some very important requests. Mm-hmm. And they were requests for money to go back to Vietnam. Right. And, for example, rebuild a senior orphanage of people that were blind. Right. And basically living in conditions that you or I would never in a million years set foot on in. Right. Completely rebuilt that facility went back later on another grant and did a school. Right. And her comment was, you know, today I'm helping 40 people, and tomorrow, you know, I'm going to be able to help 800 people. Mm-hmm. But the real topper to that was, and if you pick up the art of servant leadership too, I normally don't try and plug the yeah, book in yeah. the middle of the presentation, <laughs> but there is a photograph of Sarah um, reading Farmer Abel with her daughter. Mm-hmm. And her daughter now works for an organization, volunteers for Feeding America. Right. Because she saw what her mom did, and she realized how powerful she could be right. in helping other people. Right. We, I think we have a picture hanging on a wall over yeah. at Patreon that... that um, the orphanage was so thankful for everything that Sarah had done for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they bought clothes. They re- yeah. rebuilt the orphanage. They put in a brand new kitchen. And as we're not talking about a lot of money here. And, and that's the thing that people don't understand. When you have a great purpose and you want to help people in a country outside the United States, that money goes a long way. Mm-hmm. And we got a picture from the orphanage with everybody standing out front with a big sign on the roof that said, thank you, Daytron. Now, that that gets to you. Yeah. Um, and those are the type of things when you help people realize that there's a greater purpose than just selling product and give them a vehicle to go do that. Um, you're gonna have stories like that, that Endless stories to tell. Right. Um, and that's really the power of having that purpose and sharing those stories back with people. Um, you know, I remember when I saw the picture on Facebook of Sarah and her daughter reading Farmer Abel, and that really struck me because we didn't write Farmer Abel for that age group. Right. And I went, wow, we... we we put something together that can go into a lot of different age groups' hands, mm-hmm. and it can be taken a lot of different ways. Yes. But it's it's all about you know serving and helping people, and looking at the world through a different set of eyes, yeah. right? And and different mindset. Yeah, so. and you know, not all the stories are dramatic, big you know big stories, but for the people involved in them. They are dramatic, big stories. 
parents yeah. whose relationships with their children have been changed mm-hmm. as a result of our servant leadership training for employees. Yeah. Um, we've seen that time and again. We have a um, program here in Carlsbad uh, that the chamber runs, and it's the Rising Star Program. Mm-hmm. And every month they recognize rising stars in, in the different schools, and it's usually five or six kids. And so we participate in it, and every one of the rising stars gets a, a signed Farmer Able book from me. And, you know, I just write a simple message in it. Congratulations on being a rising star. Keep up the great work. And I initial a book. We, their name is on the note. It isn't just I sit down and sign. Yeah, yeah. I put their name on it. It goes to them. I get thank you notes. And one I got a couple months ago said, you know, I've, I've already read Farmer April and it's changed my life. Wow. Now, those are the ones I put aside and go. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> when I'm having a bad what day. What the heck am I doing <laughs> struggling today? Because I've just impacted a life yeah. I never thought I would impact. Yeah. And um, so that's when I, I, when people share things, I thank them. Because that's the wind under our wings that keep us going, is are those stories. Yeah. Right, yeah. absolutely. So tell us, what's the difference between success and significance for art for you well when i was in college (laughs) and uh, went into the workforce i had a dream and it wasn't a speech like you know i had a dream speech that you're thinking about right now it's just i had this dream i lived in orange county and newport beach is where i i um, uh, hung out during the summers i lived in a small town called tustin But I had this dream. I wanted to live on Newport Bay in Newport Beach. I wanted a nice two-story home with a front lawn, and I wanted a dock, and I wanted a 50-foot boat. And I wanted to retire by the time I was 40 Wow! and have all that. Now, I didn't have any plan to do that. (laughs) I didn't have anybody who said, Art, I will help you do that. Uh But that was my definition of success, because that at that time, that was what success was defined to be. Um, and so I thought it was all about accumulating things, going up the corporate ladder. Early on in my career, I went to work for a company that gave their leaders company cars. I got to go pick out a brand new Oldsmobile and have it delivered to the dealer and I thought man I have arrived yeah I have a company car <laughs> I'm so cool oh man um, so you know you think about success being climbing that ladder um, and then over time uh, I didn't meet my goal uh, of retiring by the time I'm 40 I'm still working uh, I'm 65 so I'm still working I missed it by 25 years I'm gonna <laughs> miss it by another five uh, I don't have the home on Newport Beach um, <laughs> I do have a boat, but I didn't earn it my way. I, it was given to me another way. Um, and I'm so glad that I didn't meet someone who would show me how to do that. Mm. Because I believe today that I wouldn't be as happy as I am focused on being significant rather than successful. And I'm, I don't mean seeing my name in print. 
I don't mean any of that. You know, our charitable fund, we have a couple of rules. Number one, we do not give money in public. And what we believe is you don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. And that means that it isn't, the reason we do it is to help people not to get our name in the newspaper mm -hmm. or the magazine. So you'll never see us pass on a huge check to a, a nonprofit because we want to do it quietly and we want to do it from our heart. And when I started to see the impact of that and started to learn I needed to use my heart and leadership, I started to recognize that helping people have a great purpose and helping people live that purpose is a different type of success. And we call it significance. And it isn't that my name's all over the place. Uh, Servant Leadership Institute, our company name doesn't have my name in it because I want Servant Leadership Institute to continue without my name on it. So I, I don't want my name on things. And you know me, I don't like the recognition. People want to give me awards and I really shy away from that. Um, and so being significant and helping people, I like to do it with the right motives, which means I don't get recognized. I don't seek recognition. If someone wants to pat us on the back for making a difference in the community, that's great. Just don't make a big deal out of it. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't. And, and what we've learned is, Lori, my wife and I have learned that, that we let our name be used in, you know, galas and things like that to help influence other people to get involved and invest in that organization, mm -hmm. not so we can get recognized. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the significance you can have is when you do things from your heart, you do it with the right reasons and the right motives, you can influence more people than you can ever imagine and influence them in a way that you don't do it for recognition, you don't do it for profits. And that type of success, success is really significant to others. And so I don't use the word success anymore. It's all about, I wanna live my life to be significant in people's lives, influence them for a positive way. And hopefully I can do it on a continuous basis. I don't do that all the time because I'm a human being. Yeah. And that's what people have to remember. Yeah. So success was defined in material things. I don't define that anymore. I would rather invest and help people and be remembered for the work that was done to help people and organizations rather than put me on a pedestal and say, you know, he did this, this, and this, and this, and this. Um, mm -hmm. That's not who I am. Yeah. Um, so last question that I have for you is that significance, the significance of your leadership, how do you feel it's impacted your companies, Daytron and SLI? What kind of impact do you think it's had on them? Well, I think it's impacted a couple of ways. When, when your leadership team really feels that you're there to help them mm -hmm. and investing in them, passing your knowledge on to them, helping them get better so they can make better decisions, learning about the business, allows you to, to get out of the way. And that's the last thing of investing in people is you've trained them, you've inspired them, you've equipped them, you've got a great purpose, you have a vehicle, 
get the heck out of the way mm -hmm. and let them do what you what you have invested in them to do. Um, I think for me, you know, listening to the stories of the people we've impacted at Daytron and SLI, um, and I'll and I'll. You know, I've watched leaders grow at Daytron, and some leaders didn't fit into our culture. And what we learned was it didn't make them bad people. And our job didn't end with the employment relationship. Our job was to help them go find a place that they would be accepted the way they are. Mm -hmm. um, and we started doing that and taking a different approach and you know I, I probably have four or five people I can think of that have come back to me after they've left the company six to twelve to twenty four months later and go Art you planted a seed in me I didn't understand when I was working at Daytron I now understand what you were trying to teach me and I want to thank you for impacting my life mm -hmm. and so that you may not see the impact today or next year or the year after when you plant that seed mm. of looking at things differently, you may never see that life grow. That's right. Because they may leave the company and do it somewhere else. But when they reach back in and thank you for that because you've changed their lives, that to me is probably the thing that keeps me going because my job is to plant the seed and get people to think differently about leading. And, and when I plant that seed and water that seed, I like to use this phrase, you know, throw fertilizer on it, uh, which can be taken a lot of different ways, <laughs> but sometimes you have to take a step back and have challenges in order to grow forward. Um, right. And, you know, that to me is, is when I see people grow and I see people happy in what they're doing, um, and then I hear people go, wow, I wish I, I wish I had stayed at Daytron. And, you know, I go, okay, well, they may feel that way down the road because they've run into some challenges. Um, but I think they're a better person and they're going to find, they're going to find where they're going to fit because now they're looking through a different set of glasses. Right. They're looking at the world a different way because their mindset has changed. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to find what they're looking for. Um, and for me, you know, I, I had to, I'm kind of rambling here, but I, I had to realize that if we were serious about helping people and positively impacting their lives, if a person had grown to the point where they wanted to go to the next level in their career and they were ready for it, and we didn't have a position for them mm -hmm. to go into, then it's okay for them to find a position elsewhere. Now, that's radical, radical leadership because people complain, well, I put all this money into training and they left. Right. Well, if you can't help them grow past the point that you put them in, then look yourself in the mirror first because you've helped grow that life, put it in a position, and if you don't, let them go get that position outside the company and, and continue to help that life grow. And I don't have a requirement for people to stay within the four walls of, of Daytron. Because if I can't offer them the opportunity to grow and they're ready to go go past that, hey, let's celebrate them finding mm -hmm. that opportunity, 
not moan and groan that I've lost a, a person. Now I got to replace them. Now I got to train them. Now I got to do this. Just get over it and do it. Right. right? right. Um, so anyway, I kind of rambled, rambled around a little bit. Um, you know, it's hard to define significance and it's the little things. Um, this happened last year. Uh, we were going through a, a difficult time. I was trying to figure out, you know, where we're going to go. And, and we announced just, uh, what, two or three weeks ago that we weren't going to have a conference this year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we went through a lot to, to come to that decision. And I was really struggling with that decision, really feeling like, oh, man, we're getting off track or we're not going to impact lives. We're not going to. And out of the blue in LinkedIn, I get a thank you note from somebody I don't even know. I've never met this individual. <laughs> and he sends me, you know, I'm kind of down in the dumps. I'm going, God, what are we supposed to be doing? We did the survey. They want online training. They want this. They want that. I want to do a conference. <laughs> okay. But all everybody we serve says, no, we want this, this, and this. Yeah. And that came in one day and the gentleman said, listen, I follow you on social media. And I just wanted to let you know that you have impacted my life in such a way. Continue to do what you're doing because the world needs that. Now, I, I don't even know who this individual is, mm -hmm. but they took time to tell me how much I was impacting their life. Now, that came at the right moment where I needed some, some wind under my wings that's what significance is all about. Mm -hmm. That when you are going through challenges and you're going, what am I? Conference, no conference. I want online stuff, and not, you want me to spend more time in social media. I'm not a social media guy, you know. But if I can impact those lives and have significant in this medium, why am I staying away from it? Yeah. And this gentleman said, "Keep doing what you're doing. I listen to your podcast." I listen to your webinars. It has changed my life. Now, when you hear that from people you don't even know, mm -hmm. uh, you go, why am I going through this challenge? Because I have to realize we're impacting people that we may never hear their story. And that's probably the ultimate significance for me to know that every time we look at how many books have been sold, yeah, it isn't about the books we've sold or the money we're making. It's about, oh man, we're influencing another 10 lives. Somebody just bought 10 books or 20 books or 50 books. And we go, somebody's going to get impacted. We won't know. We may never know. But to me, that's the significance is we impact not only the lives we do know, but the lives we don't know. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how you call that success. Because we don't do it for the money, we do it for the lives that we impact. And that's where significance really gets to my heart, is when we hear from people we don't even know that we've impacted their lives. Yeah. 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 Well, that is a perfect conclusion. Couldn't ask for anything better. Thank you so much again it's great, for uh, sitting down together. Yeah, it's great hanging out and, and talking about, uh, just remember, purpose, great purpose, Figure out why you do what you do, um, especially leaders and companies. Communicate, 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 and then give them a vehicle to live that purpose, and you'll be amazed at where your organization will go. So, 
Awesome. Um, we really care for you folks, and you know this one is really dear to our hearts. We both kind of got choked up through this one um, <laughs> because this is really the heart yeah. of why we do what we do. So, right. yeah, thanks, Carol. Right. I really okay. appreciate being yeah, with you in the studio today. My pleasure, as always. And we're going to take actually this concept, um, purpose, and servant leadership. And in our presentation next month will be Chapter 7 of The Art of Servant Leadership 2, Calling, uh, I love this, Growing Leadership in Challenging Times. Oh, yeah. So we're going to hit the the tough stuff next month. Yeah, sounds great. Be sure to to tune in. We appreciate you all so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And have a great rest of your week. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Hey, everybody. We've got a great event coming up that we think you'll enjoy. It's a new webinar called Creating Engaged Teams as a Servant Leader. It's going to be held on March 25th from 10 to 1130 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Do you have employees or coworkers who spend more time getting coffee than working on projects? Is it like pulling teeth to get your employees or team members to participate in meetings or brainstorming sessions? You might just have a problem with employee engagement. According to a recent Gallup study of the American workplace, 51% of employees are not engaged at work. What would your team or organization look like if everybody was engaged and positively involved in their work? How much more could be accomplished? and how many more people could be positively impacted. This webinar, taught by SLI founder and servant leadership implementer Art Barter, will discuss what it takes to change a culture from disengaged to one that fosters participation and genuine excitement about what needs to be achieved. You'll discover the symptoms of a disengaged team, learn the building blocks of creating engaged teams, and learn 10 things you can do to encourage engagement. And of course, as always, we'll have a great Q&A session with Art Barter at the end of the webinar. Join us by registering at www.servantleadershipinstitute.com. Hope to see you all there.